A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. Let me adjust this for you. Okay, thank you, baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> in a very silly kind of delirious mood today that answers the question someone asked on our facebook group whether we cut out the laughs or no if we are laughing i mean never do do. i don't i'm in charge of like the editing which we don't edit really the show we edit like a few things if there's like weird noises or something yeah we do our best or coughing we try and edit that shit out right so But we don't edit actual moments that no. we have here together. Um, so let's thank some people. Yeah. Well, first I wanted to thank Dan Widman. Uh, he must have heard our Randy Craft podcast where we talked about the candy store and how much <laughs> we love candy. Yes. And he owns like the cutest little Widman's candy shop or maybe he's part owner. I'm not sure. So obviously he's from that family. And he sent us some candy, which were called chippers, and that is milk chocolate covered potato chips. <laughs> and I've eaten like half the box. So already. good. They're so good. So thank you, Dan. That was super thank sweet. You so and much. we do love candy. So definitely give us candy. We, we have sweet <laughs> We take candy from strangers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's also thank some of our patrons from this past week. Thank you guys so much for donating to our Patreon. This week we had Lindsay, Christy, Betsy, Marcella, Sue, Della, Simon, Susanna, and Michael. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. So, Desi, let's just get right into it because this might be a long one. Okay. A long one. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Am I supposed to be like, hubba, hubba, like Salminio long? Well, you already <laughs> called me baby tonight, <laughs> so... Uh, Desi, have you heard of the Scarsdale diet before? Of course I have. (laughs) Do you know anything about the, not the crime, just the diet itself, which is a crime, by the way? Look, I mean, I know it's from the 80s, so it's probably like a scoop of cottage cheese on a tomato slice. (laughs) Yes, honestly, yes. I told Desi right before I started researching this episode last week, I was like, I'm going to do Scarsdale diet murders Maybe I should like go on the diet for a couple days just to do like some investigative journalism and like see what this diet's all about. And then I looked up the diet and I was like, no, I'm not even going to attempt that. No. It, it is the disgusting. worst diet ever. Let me read you. I wanted to read you a sample day of this diet. And this diet was invented in like 1978. So you can, it's just so dated. So for breakfast, one half of a grapefruit. <laughs> that's very, that's a very 70s diet. Right. I mean, come on. To have one slice of protein bread, toasted, no spread added. Who wants no spread? (laughs) You have to have some kind of a lubricant on your toast. I'm sorry. Come on. You have to have something. You can't eat dry toast. I don't even protein toast. Come on. Unless there's real protein on it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
coffee slash tea, but no sugar, cream, no milk, no honey. Hell no. Okay. I mean, I no drink- honey. Who the fuck is putting honey? Oh, I guess for the tea. Yeah. I drink my coffee black, so I don't care. That doesn't bother me. But the <clears throat> toast without anything on it bothers me. I don't have sugar in my coffee, but I need some cream. I know. Does so. he? Desi always and whenever Desi comes to my house I'm like hey you want some coffee and she's like do you have half and half (laughs) every time I'm like no I don't have half and half she's like well then no I do that to everyone it's my it's my one bitch move (laughs) like I literally can't if you give me skim milk I will probably murder you (laughs) okay so that's what's for breakfast then for lunch assorted cold cuts tomatoes sliced oh yum boiled or stewed just plain. Like imagine eating cold cuts with stewed tomatoes. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Then you can also have coffee, tea, or diet soda mm. or water. Uh, then for dinner, you're allowed to have fish or shellfish, any combination salad, any kind of salad, any kinds of greens or vegetables, one slice of protein bread. They're like selling that protein right? bread like it's a fucking thing. <laughs> As much zoodles as you want. <laughs> oh, thank you. So basically, that that's just Monday. And the diet itself... No sugar-free jello? Come on. <laughs> right. Nothing? I know. That's the one thing they left off, right? So everything is sort of a variation of that. There is, like, no flavor in this. Like, I don't... Like, it's just so bland and so boring. And each day... They're like, you can use much as Mrs. Dash's... <laughs> flavor on that cold cut <laughs> i like that you're cheating on this diet it's probably like oh i'm gonna get olive loaf i'm not supposed to have olives though <laughs> they didn't specify on the cold cut right that's that would be like a cheat yeah because I don't you're probably supposed to get like turkey or salt-free ham or something no and everything was low salt and all the cottage cheese because like on tuesday Ugh. you can have like cottage cheese or something and everything is like low fat i remember being on diets like this and literally like living for certain meals like where, where you got one thing that was like remotely good like the like cottage cheese maybe was something like, right we we're like okay i can have cottage cheese it's with so cantaloupe <laughs> So this meal, I mean, these meals, they amount to per day between 800 and 1,000 calories. And that is, in my opinion, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm just a person who's been, who's tried a lot of crazy diets before because I live in Los Angeles. That's way too little calories. Right. And basically this diet promises you lose 20 pounds in 14 days. Whoa. Which I feel like. That really depends on your body type and your well, metabolism. Well, and you could probably do a lot of diets that are that restrictive and lose a ton of weight. Really, the reason why you're losing weight is because you're restricting so many calories. Right. That's what's making you lose all the weight. Yeah. Anyway. But 20 pounds seems extreme in 14 days. It seems Unless a you're doing dangerous. like a juice fast. I don't know. I, again, I'm not, a, I'm not a nutritionist. I And like I said before, like I've... I mean, we live in Los Angeles. We've come across every single crazy crash diet right. here. I mean, people will come up like, remember when there was like the blood type diet? Yes. Like you eat according to whatever your blood type is. Like, Yeah, because it's like caveman something or other. <laughs> That's paleo. Okay, I don't know. Whatever. So right. the Scarsdale, it's, uh, it's officially called the Complete Scarsdale Medical Diet. And it was created by Dr. Herman Town. Tarnauer in 1978, and he published a very successful book called The Complete Scarsdale Medical Diet. 
and it went on to become a bestseller. And Scarsdale is in upstate New York, like just yes. north of uh, Manhattan, right? Thank you very much. Sure. And No, that wasn't a condescending thank you very much. <laughs> I just am uh, stalling for time right now. I'm going to cut this out because I'm, I have to find the author of this book because I want to give her a shout out. Okay. So I, I think the reason I brought that up is because I actually always thought that was his name. Because you always hear him as the Scarsdale diet doctor or, you know what I mean? Like You thought his yeah. name was Scarsdale? I did. Like, not like, initially, I think I right. thought that. But I mean, I knew, I knew after. The book that I read for this episode for the primary, that I primarily used for my research of this episode is called Very Much a Lady, The Untold Story of Jean Harris and Dr. Herman Tarnauer. And it's by Shana Alexander. And she is a renowned journalist who... This book was great. It was great. I recommend it if you like reading about any kind of sordid relationships. It's it's a world. It's It's a whirlwind. It's juicy. Yeah, I like the book. So uh, that that's what I used for my research on this episode. Primarily, I also used a lot of court transcripts and and some articles as well from the eighties when this was all coming to a head. All right, let's start off. Jean Harris was born Jean Struven on April 23, 1923, in Chicago, but she grew up in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. She was the second child of four and was a very bright young girl. Jean was proposed to by her boyfriend, Jim Harris, while she was at Smith College. Jim was in the Navy, and the two made plans to get married when he was discharged. In 1945, Jean graduated magna cum laude. Jean's dad didn't like Jim at all. He... Jim was kind of a loser with low ambition, and Jean's dad especially thought this. Like, he was not happy that she was going to get married to this, like, loafer guy. He actually wept openly at the wedding, the dad. Nice. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love a scene at a wedding. I know. It's, like, the only way I want to go. It's, like, I want someone to stand up when they say, is anyone here? <laughs> like, come on. You know, every time someone asks that question, you're kind of looking around. Right. Like, Please Who's fucking gonna do, do it? it. Who's going to do it? <laughs> So Gene's dad was not happy about this. He was kind of a dick, as we'll learn a little bit. The dad? The dad was, yeah. a, was a dick, uh, just in general. Gene, though, was the model housewife, and she became a teacher as well. She got a job at Gross Point Country Day School. They lived in Michigan. And Gene's favorite age to teach was first and second graders. Gene's dad didn't approve of her being a teacher, and he thought it was a shit job. Whoa. Yeah, so this guy kind of sucks, in it my opinion. It seems like she really can't do anything right at this point. Yeah. Like she's, I mean, what did he want? I don't know what's wrong a with being a teacher. A lot of women at that age were a teacher, too. Like women, that was, you know, primarily the career women would take at that time. Yeah, this right? is the I late mean, 40s yeah. at this point, early 50s. Jean's dad also was like a racist and an anti-Semite. Oh. Yeah, he hated Jews. <clears throat> how, that, how, that, how is that possible? Well... <laughs> Well, Desi, you'd be surprised. Okay, both of us. Look, I've heard tell, and we 50s. know that I'm a renowned Jew fucker. That's <laughs> true. It's true. So, Gene and Jim Harris, they had two kids David, who was born in 1950, and Jimmy, who was born in 1952. According to friends, Gene was a highly emotional person and would often burst into tears with little provocation. It wasn't until she saw the film Gilda, starring Rita Hayworth. <laughs> I'm sorry. That she was able to control her fearful outburst by singing a song from the film in her head to distract her. This would become a tool she would use for many years to come. Whenever she'd feel herself like on the right. verge of tears, she'd start singing this song. This is before Xanax was invented, <laughs> clearly. 
Well, that comes later. <laughs> okay. Jean never felt socially accepted in her suburban community. She feared that everyone in Gross Point saw her as just a school teacher instead of part of the crowd. Jean, she had... What crowd <laughs> is going on in Gross Point? <laughs> it was this whole, like, waspy community that she lived right. in. And was her working, like bad because it was like her husband couldn't give her this lifestyle like she needed to work like what was the... yeah she needed to work but also she wanted to work she had right. ambition she had a passion and her passion was teaching and right. children but people look down on it because it's like oh she's women, just a yeah. teacher yeah. they thought of her as very school marmish in oh, that way okay. so and she was a very beautiful woman i'm looking at her right now yeah she had really low self-esteem to begin with anyway and she would often cover up her insecurities with self-deprecating humor what? <laughs> <laughs> Unheard of, right? In the summer of 1961, Jean reconnected with a friend from college, Marge Jacobson. Marge had married Leslie Jacobson, who was a very successful lawyer. The couple had a Park Avenue apartment and a home in Scarsdale. Jean spent the next several years working on getting her master's degree. By 1964, Jean was bored of her marriage and bored of her life in Gross Point. She was tired of being a good girl and hanging around wasps all day. <laughs> and if- I'm laughing because I looked up Jean Harris and the headline is Jean Harris, murderer, educator. <laughs> That's like on the It's like, look, you think I'm boring? I'm also a murderer. <laughs> it cracks me up. I mean, it's succinct. I'll give them that. Look, Desi. Rhythm is a dancer, a single mom, an educator, and a murderer. So Jean's tired of this boring-ass Midwestern waspy life that she's living. And she sees this old college buddy of hers living this glamorous New York City lifestyle. Glamorous Marge. (laughs) Well, Marge was, like, very hot. Oh, she was? Yeah. I I mean, mean, the name seems, like, not hot. Yeah. But I guess... It's a very dated name. So Marge is married to this fancy lawyer guy and they, they're in scarsdale no they have an apart they live in park they have a park avenue apartment but they also have a home in scarsdale oh, okay so, so they're rich they're rich as fuck yeah. jean was really inspired by this and she's basically having a like there must be something more to life moment right. she's having her disney princess moment where yeah. she's looking out the window Look at this stuff <laughs> right. isn't it neat she's having her aerial moment yeah so she wants more she wants more so she divorced her husband, Jim. Mm-hmm. Which is hot back then to divorce your husband. Oh, and she was, it was definitely like taboo. And it talked about that in the book. And she, everyone in Gross Point was like, oh, <laughs> we thought she was boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were, they were like, so not like. But secretly, I think that they probably oh, were probably. Like, oh, wow. She's doing what we all wish we could. <laughs> and she just did it. And she didn't Good. do it because for any like crazy reason she did it she's like i don't like this guy that much and i don't want to be married to him fuck you dad (laughs) you want me to leave my husband okay so jean decided what she really needed was a jewish man okay now i'm relating specifically a jewish doctor Mm. jean wanted to remake her entire life she wanted to get a better job as a school administrator, and she wanted to leave the Midwest and nail a hot Jewish doctor. That was her, that was like goals. That was literally my dream in junior high. Was it? To marry a Jewish doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. I had a crush on a guy named Adam Cohen. <laughs> the most Jewish name ever. Totally. And I was like, he, he wanted to be a doctor, and I was like, this is perfect. Right. We danced at one dance to Chicago song. I'm sorry. <laughs> Is it the If You Leave Me Now song? No, I think it was like, You're the Inspiration. Oh my God, no, Desi. 
Look, look, look. Oh, I love Uh it. Okay. Jean did end up accepting a much higher paying job. She got a new job uh, at this affluent Philadelphia school in the suburbs of Philly in this area called Chestnut Hill, another waspy neighborhood, but she was moving up. She got a job as as the director. Right. She's of, getting there. She's getting there. She got a she got a job as a director of this school. And she's on a roll. She's like, "Okay, I'm, you know, she moved her boys with her and uh, you know, she'd drive <clears throat> back to uh Gross Point to so they could see their dad sometimes, but but she's starting this new life up in Philadelphia. So she phones up her friend Marge Jacobson, and Marge invited her to a swanky party that she was throwing at her Park Avenue apartment. And there she met Herman Tarnauer, the Jewish doctor. I mean, things are just lining up for her. <laughs> it's like fate at this point, okay? Jean was immediately smitten by him. He kind of looks like um, Terry Quinn. From Lost? Yes, he does. He? Not as hot as Terry Quinn. Like, Terry Quinn, I think, is better looking. No, this guy just isn't hot, but also because I know about his personality, too. Right. So, so he's we'll not to that, yeah. hot to me. Jean was smitten by him. She was like, oh, my God. It was like love at first But at sight. this point, she probably wants that so bad, she's ignoring. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, she's building this guy up. She totally like, built him yeah. up. But they also were talking at this party, and yeah. she was very smart, and uh, they could really carry a conversation together, and she wasn't some bimbo that right. he might have been hanging around How old before. are they at this point? Do you know? So Jean's in her 40s, and Herman, I'll tell you in a second, Herman Tarnauer was born March 18th, 1910. So he's older than her by he's, 13 years. Yes, he's older than her. He was born in Brooklyn, New York to Jewish immigrants from Eastern Europe. Herman uh, grew up in poverty pretty much. And all he wanted to do when he was younger was just assimilate and get, okay. get rid of his like the stigma of being a Jewish immigrant from a poor background. He just wanted to assimilate. He wanted to make money. Right. He wanted to hang out with influential people and 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 pursue his dreams of, of being a doctor. And he did that. Herman uh, went on to become a very successful doctor. He was the founder of the Scarsdale Medical Group. And he was a lifelong bachelor and a known ladies' man. Ooh. Yes. He was like... Oh, he'll never take a wife. Right. That, oh, Herman. No one was like, oh, he might be gay. It was like, he really is a ladies' man. Right. Yeah. Like, I think, if you think there was like a couple people who were like, well, maybe he's gay. And, but that wasn't really the consensus. Well, because back at that time, a lifelong bachelor often meant something were, else. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but, but so people, he was a real ladies' man. But people saw him with all kinds of chicks all the time. Right. Like, he right. wasn't just like single, mm-hmm. he was always had a new girl, basically, mm. and was having all these affairs all the time. So here's an excerpt from the book. And this it are some excerpts. These are some quotes from some of his ex-girlfriends slash lovers. And they, they call him High. People, his friends call him High. Okay. Like Herman High. That's his nickname, I okay. guess. Okay. Sexually, High was an elephant, one ex- ex-mistress says bluntly. Says another. Wait, what does that mean? He I don't know. She, she, <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. I was so upset that she did That he has a big trunk? She didn't elaborate on that, Desi. How do you, how do you ha- have that interview and not be like, okay, what do you mean? Right. Like, so that's all it says. Hi was an elephant, okay. she puts bluntly, which again- <laughs> I guess bluntly means he had a big trunk. I, I guess so. Um, and he picked a peanut up. 
<laughs> Rachel just spit water out. God okay. Damn it. <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ! Everywhere. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Fuck, okay. I like how we're laughing more than ever this episode. Okay. Sorry. We got it together. Okay. Okay. Another one of his girlfriends, ex-girlfriend, says, <laughs> "You, you know." Hyde didn't really like women. He had to be stimulated. He was not very potent, even when I knew him years ago. And finally, I said to myself, at my age, I don't have to work this hard. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so that seems like wildly different right. experiences. Says a third ex-mistress. I don't even think Hyde was capable of loving. He was not even capable of giving. He couldn't let go sexually. When you are making love, you are melting. You are fluid. He tried, but he couldn't. There was always something he was fighting in a woman. He gave me the feeling it's man against woman. Another one said, you could get violently attracted to this man. His eyes were very good, and he was a great dancer. You felt totally enfolded. His mother must have been very domineering because if you had said anything about her, a veil came over his face. In bed, he was a completely unemotional and un- uninvolved. It ended because I got too possessive and Hyde dropped me flat. But I remember him very well. He's the kind of guy that starts fast and finishes fast. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> then he gets into the other bed and goes to sleep while you just lie there and feel bad. <laughs> My God. That's like how I said Bobby Flay fucks. Right. (laughs) You good? I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking turns the light out. Perhaps Tarnauer was a great Casanova, and these are merely the bitter voices of women who lost out. That's what the author says. I, I, I believe them. Okay. So Herman was considerably more worldly than Jean, who had lived a pretty humble life up until this point. This both intimidated and intrigued her. And just days after they met, Jean began receiving little cards and gifts from Herman, and thus a 14-year-long relationship began. In the beginning, Herman wined and dined Jean. He took her to fancy restaurants, to shows and parties, and this was a long-distance relationship as Jean lived in Philadelphia and Herman lived in Purchase, New York. Jean became part of Herman's inner circle of wealthy friends and acquaintances, though, and she was pretty welcome among them, and and he liked having her on his arm there because she could hold a conversation. And Herman, like I said before, he was very much about status and Mm -hmm. living the good life. He liked being in a room full of fancy people. He liked associating himself with fancy people. He liked having really wealthy, influential patients, and... He loved money, but he loved power more than anything else, really. And according to friends, he could be quite selfish, but he was willing to go out of his way for people who were rich and influential. He was a member of the elite Century Golf Club. And Jean Harris herself said, High craved social acceptance more than anything else on this earth. But Jean loved these qualities in Herman. She liked that he fought to assimilate and claw his way to the top, and she liked his ambition and attitude. She, I mean, I think these were things that she, she had aspired that, to be yeah. for herself. And she was sort of in awe of this guy who would overcome whatever in his childhood. To become the success. To become the success. In 1967, Herman presented Jean with a large diamond engagement ring. Ooh. And she was fucking thrilled. 
but she wanted to wait a year to actually get married so that she wouldn't have to uproot her son's lives once again. And then after they were graduated high school, then she could move in with Jean. I mean, with Herman in Purchase, New York. Jean asked Herman one night when it was like, when are we, when are you going to set the date? When are we getting married? And that's when Herman broke the news. I can't go through with it. He said, (gasps) yes. And this was just months after he proposed. He reneged. Okay. He was like, no, I can't do it. And Jean was pretty fucking sad, but she accepted it and she told herself, well, that's okay. He probably just isn't the marrying type. And so she mailed the ring back to Herman and he was pissed. He wanted her to keep it. So he drove all the way to Philadelphia to give it back to her. And then they got in this huge fight about it. Why was he pissed? I don't know. He was like, how dare you? How da- I mean, he was a very controlling guy. He probably didn't like that she accepted it. Yeah, right. I think he wanted her to fight a little bit more about it. But Jean had this obsession with being the cool girl. Right. She just wanted to go along with everything that he said so that he would actually fall in love with her. Right. In that meaningful way and be like, okay, let's get married. Yeah. Ooh, I didn't want to marry you, but now that I know you accept that, I want to marry you. Right. <laughs> really good foundation. Yeah. For a relationship. A few weeks later, Jean showed up at Herman's house with her kids while they were on the way back from a trip to Rhode Island. Jean and Herman made up, but not as a couple at first. The next few months, Jean decided she was going to pour herself into her work, and she began having worsening back problems. So Herman prescribed her painkillers, and Jean took a liking to pills at this point. In November of that year, Jean wrote Herman a letter basically forgiving him for not wanting to get married, and then she proclaimed her love for him. And I read this letter, and it was one of the most pathetic sad Mm -hmm. things I've ever read in my life it was the ultimate I'm not like the other girls I'm a cool girl it's okay you can I want you to be happy I want you to just do what you need to do and and we don't have to get married I don't really want that it's okay like yeah it was she was giving up everything she wanted just to make him happy yeah she just wanted him to think she was fucking cool with whatever he was doing and he was obviously fucking around on the side and she just so badly didn't want to be seen as this needy needy desperate woman who i mean i mean at this point she's older too it's not like yeah what i mean like she was probably also feeling like her options were narrowing oh she absolutely was feeling that way she often would get sad thinking about how why didn't I come to this? Why didn't I get the courage to divorce my husband earlier? Why did I think I had to get married after college? So she's having regrets about everything. Yeah, absolutely. But in December, Herman took Jean with him on a trip to Jamaica, and this would be the first of many trips that they would go on together. Jean did keep the ring, but she refused to wear it out in public, not until that he would you know, hopefully propose to her again one day and then she would wear it out in public. Right. But she did wear it around her house all the time, especially when she was doing dishes. Aww. Yeah, really sad. Uh, while Herman was traveling in Morocco, his limo driver said something to him that stuck with him and inspired him. The driver said that he had two wives. And Herman was like, well, why do you have two wives? This sounds like a bad joke. This sounds yeah. like a bad joke in Playboy from yeah. like the 70s, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. He goes, well, why do you have two wives? And the limo driver said, because I can't afford four. <laughs> and, and so basically the limo driver, he then said, but even two is much better than one. With two, both try a little harder. 
And that was something that like a light bulb went off Uh in Herman's head about that. Meanwhile, Jean still pretending not to care that Herman was sleeping around with other women and basically just having her as this long distance girlfriend. Are we serious? Are we not serious? What's going on? Is he ever going to repropose to me? And she's just pretending to be totally fine with it, even though it's killing her inside. Around 1970, Herman reconnected with an old flame named Greta Stedman, who was newly divorced. In fact, Herman's housekeepers were very happy to see her around again. They much preferred her to Jean Harris, who they thought was uptight. Jean would come home from lavish trips around the world with Herman and feel isolated and sad in her waspy neighborhood of Chestnut Hill. She wasn't promoted to headmistress of the school she worked at. She was told by a powerful figure of the school that she'd never be promoted so long as she was dating that Jew. Really? Yeah. Damn. So Jean was like, fuck you guys. Good for her. Yeah, good for her. And she left her job in Philly for a new job at a school in Connecticut. And she was thrilled. She's like, oh, I'm only like 20 minutes away from Herman. According to Jean's former colleagues, the school... At the school, she was incredibly high-strung, unpredictable, and she had a very short fuse. And by this time, Jean had been popping sleeping pills at night and taking amphetamines during the day to keep herself awake. So she's, like, walking on a tightrope of sanity at this point. Right. Just taking all these combinations of uppers and downers just to get by and get through the day. And she's pretty much addicted at this point. And also, like, her... Her mental health is starting to deteriorate also with not only the stress of her job, but the stress that she's... With this relationship. With this relationship she's in. Around this time, Herman began seeing 37-year-old Lynn Triforos, who was considerably younger than him. Triforos was his secretary. And Herman, inspired by the limo driver, very much enjoyed pitting Jean and Lynn against each other. He actually encouraged it. He wanted them to have little spats and fights with each other because to him, he thought that if they were at each other's throats, that both women would try harder to please him to get his attention. Jean began receiving anonymous phone calls from a man and sometimes a woman in the middle of the night. Jean suspected the calls were coming from Lynn Trifornos. And she was like, I know Lynn, I know Lynn is behind this. Right. I know that fucking bitch is behind this, calling me in the middle of the night and saying obscene things. And the phone calls would like be describing Herman fucking another woman in detail. Or sometimes they said stuff like, Jean, you need to take sex lessons. And another one called her an old bitch. Whoa. Yeah. So Jean already at this point is like, not only is she not happy that her boyfriend's stepping out on her with another woman, but she's a much young, she's like 20 years, right? almost 20 years younger than Jean at this point. So she's very insecure about, she's aging and she's, you know, trying to compete with, with this younger, younger woman. hot woman that this doctor, you know, he gets older, they stay the same age, essentially. And he can have anyone... He's like such a ladies' man. He can have anyone he wants. And, and he doesn't have any emotion, so he's never really hurt. Like No. He's yeah. a fucking dick. Uh, yeah. Herman's kind of the worst, actually. I mean, not as bad as a lot of the men we've covered. <laughs> but I'm just well, saying... yeah. But he... Obviously, but like, he's kind of a dick. He's a fuckboy. Yeah. He's absolutely a fuckboy. A fuck man. He's a fuck <laughs> man. Because he's way too old for this shit. Yeah. Way too old for this shit. Jean was getting all these anonymous phone calls and this enraged her. So she's like 
starts repeatedly calling this woman Lynn, being like, fuck you, bitch. And she starts calling her so much uh, that Lynn had to change her phone number five separate times, and Jean would always find her new phone number. I bet you Howard was giving it to her. Probably. Probably. And, like, uh, Jean, one time she called the house, and her daughter's, or, like, one of her kids picked up, and that infuriated Jean because she knew that because Lynn wasn't home, that meant she was staying the night oh, at Herman's house. Ew. So it was like she was just spinning herself into this rage. Right. like, And just making up what she thought was happening. Too. Right. Which it probably was happening. It pro- yeah. But she but was driving was herself. Yeah, she was she driving, was driving herself. herself mad with all of this. Uh, she was even calling Lynn at her at the office to try and get a hold of her. And, and this was all, you know, under the impression that Lynn was behind these phone calls. Those phone calls did remain anonymous. It wasn't discovered who was making all these right. phone calls. Or no one admitted to it. Right. No one admitted to it. But I definitely suspect that Herman had something to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> you I'm know? Sure. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. So in 1977, Jean was hired as headmistress at the prestigious girls' school, the Madera School, in McLean, Virginia. She was 54 years old, and she couldn't live with Herman, and she couldn't live without him. That's where she had gotten to at that point in her life. And Jean had just an okay first year working at Madera but she wasn't really respected by the girls there. Like there were some girls at the school who really liked her and thought she was really sweet and nice. And then other girls who just thought she was the biggest fucking cunt in the world. Right. But pretty much all across the board, like she had replaced this longtime headmistress who was there. They just didn't respect Jean or take her seriously. Right. They didn't really give a shit about her rules or about, um, they just didn't take her seriously as a human being. And, and Jean already was a very high-strung person, very insecure. Like so he, that just exasperated her Oh, my already. God. Yeah. And she felt like she was going crazy working at the school. And she sort of like, you know, she's absolutely a, a people pleaser. She yeah. has that in her where she just wants everything to be okay and um, to do the right thing, sort of. Mm-hmm. And um, But everyone just saw her as like pathetic, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the fall of 1978, Jean bought a gun. One of her friends was like, oh, are you buying it for protection? And she's like, yeah, protection against myself, basically. Like she, in case she wanted to commit suicide. Oh. Yeah. So she had sort of to- been toying around with that idea at that point that she was kind of getting ready to just end it all mm-hmm. because. She couldn't take it. She couldn't take her life anymore. She couldn't take uh, a lot of things that were going on in her life. And also she was suffering mentally just from being on so many pills alone, right. they were yeah. really messing with her mental health. And in 1979, Herman's book, The Complete Scarsdale Medical Diet, was published. Like I said before, this diet sucks. But the book was a hit and became a bestseller instantly. And thus, Herman became a little celebrity. And he was going on TV shows. I think he was on Merv Griffin. He was on the Today Show. Like he was just right. doing the he's circuit. Everywhere. So now he's even more famous and well known and yeah. respected. And and um and he and he loves it. Yeah. And course. he fucking loves all the all this fame. And and he sort of becomes like this Dr. Oz type figure yeah. at this point. Like this, you know, he it's like all the daytime talk shows and nighttime talk shows that he's going on. Jean was furious because she actually wrote most of the book. Oh, really? Yes. And there was another author, like, the book is, like, written by Dr. Herman Tarnauer and this other dude, like, another doctor he was working with. Jean was not put down as a co-author, even though she was a co-author of that book. Like she, She's like, Stew Tomatoes was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, she, like, put into, like, he came up with the diet himself, but she right. put into words, so basically. So he came up with, like, the, the science. medical science behind it all. Right. But she, but she, did, she did a lot of the text. Because we all know diet books, it's like 800 pages of things you don't... It's like, just tell me the fucking diet. Like, right. <laughs> I don't need to know the science and the meta- me- metabolic rates and all that. Like, right. Just tell me if I'm going to lose weight or yeah. not. <laughs> so Herman sends Jean 
like a check for four grand and he's like oh thanks for all your help on the book and she's like I don't want your fucking money like what is this like I she felt that this was an insult that she was he was sending her money she wanted to be recognized for the late that this was a labor of love right that she did this because she loved him so much not because she needed a job right and then when the book came out she was enraged even more because her name wasn't on the book. Yeah. And there, she was just mentioned in a little teeny tiny acknowledgement section okay. with other fucking people. Yeah. It was like, and thanks to Jean Harris. Yeah. But she, no special. Well, she should have been on the cover because she write, helped write, write this book. Yeah. Like she was a, absolutely a co-author of it. She was fucking pissed. And then suddenly after that happened, Lynn became the one who was going on all the vacations with Herman. Because previously... Jean would accompany Herman to all these exotic locales. I mean, they went all over the world together and they would spend every Christmas together. And and she was really this huge part of his life doing all these important things. And all of a sudden, Lynn has become that replacement. She's like the number one girlfriend. She's the number one girl at this point. And there were even rumors swirling around among Herman's friends that he was going to propose to Lynn. He's like, can I get that ring back? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you about the ring. Okay. Let me tell you what happened to the ring. So the ring actually ended up back in Herman's possession. I don't remember how, but Herman ended up selling the ring without telling Jean. And the ring had appreciated in value since he had given it to her. So when he bought it for her, it was worth $10,000. But when he sold it, it was worth $12,000. And he gave the money to Lynn because she was going through a divorce. So when Jean found out that the ring money, her engagement ring money was used to get this woman, this other woman out of her divorce... She was like, she blew up. Are you fucking kidding me? I mean, that is pretty insulting, just symbolically. Yeah. Like, and I understand, like, even though it's his ring, he can do it. He bought it. He can do whatever he wants with it. But I get symbolically why she would be so upset. Well, also, he probably made sure she knew, right? I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, he loved to torment her. He loved tormenting her. In March of 1980, Jean expelled four seniors for possession of weed, stems, and seeds along with paraphernalia that they had in their dorm room. Stems and seeds. Dude, all they had was stems and seeds. I got busted for weed once by a cop when I lived in Manhattan, and I was in a car with friends, and he took the weed and threw it into the Hudson River. So we were right by the river. Sorry, this sounds really cool. And I always remember he said to me, like, because I think I was, like, 22 at the time, and the people I was with were, like, 19, or there was, like, some yeah. younger people I worked with. Yeah. And I remember he said, like, you're you know, 22, you're too old for this. Like, looking back, I'm like, that's insane. Like, I was exactly the right age. Right. Smoking weed by the Hudson River, right. you fucking freak. Like, right. I do remember thinking, because I was like, I just bought that. And it was, like, it was not stems and seeds. And just to see it going in the river was so sad. Well, weed was also a lot harder it was harder to, to get. get back then <laughs> so it was harder. literally like yeah you had to like go to a dude to get yeah it. no it was way you couldn't harder just go to a store yeah exactly so it was very uh, depressing i still think about that fucking weed i'm like <laughs> god damn it <laughs> and i understand how upset because i i got in trouble for weed possession a lot in high school i got suspended several times in high school so i understand that fucking feeling of injustice and anger when you're that age and these girls that Jean expelled 
were fucking pissed and her parents yeah. were their parents were even more pissed right because rich parents don't like when you get their kids in trouble yes so these well-connected rich parents they didn't like it they were fucking livid they're like how dare you and these girls were just like a few months away from high school graduation so it was kind of a dick move on her part it was a dick move on her part and i can understand that she was probably feeling such a lack of control and all these other areas of her she's life. Like, I'm in charge. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I'm fucking in charge. And she was a very strict headmistress. So she was like laying down the law on these girls. And she was really ostracized by this, even by the other administrators right. at the school. They thought she was being over the line. And she's like, well, what am I even supposed to do? Like, this is my job. Uh, so the students decided they were going to protest the expulsion and they staged a sit-in and just stopped going to class. <laughs> so it was like everything in Jean's world is like, yeah, this is a nightmare. She even got a letter from a student, like a student wrote her a letter being like, you're being a major bitch, Jean, Mrs. Harris. Everyone's dream to tell a teacher they're a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she used that language, but she basically oh. said that. And like that letter that she got from a student ended up being the last straw for her like that was sort of the thing I would say that made her go over the edge even though in the scheme of all the things that had led up to this point it wasn't the worst thing right even close it was just that thing that sort of was the last thing she needed that week was getting an angry letter from a student saying she was wrong for her decision Also at this time, Jean ran out of her prescription for speed and she couldn't get a hold of Dr. Tarnauer. So she's now withdrawing from speed and she's frantically calling Herman for days, but he's not picking up. Look, at this point, it's a medical issue. Just pick up the phone for your obsessed girlfriend and give her some drugs and give her some drugs. So after three days of withdrawal, Jean wrote a scathing 10-page letter to Herman detailing (laughs) everything that was wrong, that had gone wrong in her life in the past few weeks, and all of his emotional abuse that he had put her through. And it was just, I read this letter. It was incredible. I mean, this is the day and age, too, where it's like she had so much time to just not send it. It's not like an an email where you're like, fuck, I just sent that crazy email. Right. She had so much time. She had to take it to the post office, get a stamp. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, drop it in the the thing. I mean, you could even be like, fuck, I need to get to his house and take it from the mailbox before he gets it. Like, there's a lot of leeway for you to stop it. Like, there's a lot. There's a lot of time that passes between the writing of the, even on page seven, you could be like, whoa, this is really, right. Yeah. Yeah. What page are you like? I'm a maniac. So in this letter, she repeatedly called Lynn a whore and she accused her of damaging the possessions that she had left at Herman's house, including a dress of hers that Lynn allegedly covered in human shit. (laughs) That's unexpected. My head came clean off when I read that in the book. How dare you wipe your ass with my Christian deal? Well, it was like some yellow dress of hers. the hell she said in that she was like it was sticky and it was brown and it was all over you tell me what that is (laughs) sap (laughs) bong resin (laughs) so she was not i mean that is really the final insult you find human feces she's had a lot of final straws (laughs) okay how much can one woman take with no speed (laughs) so i've been living off of dexatrim she won't (laughs) So so after 
Jean composed the letter. Then she began writing her will. <laughs> and she, she, how many pens did she go through? Well, while she was writing her will, this was on like a Friday. She was in her office, you know, from the offices of (laughs) Jean Harris. She's writing her will furiously, but then two students came in her office. So she like hid, hid the thing and then she lost it. So she had to write a new one on Monday. Okay. But she did complete her will. Her will. She did write the will. And on Monday, March 10th, 1980, at around 10 a.m., Jean finally got a hold of Herman by telephone at his office, and she was mortified about the letter she had written him, and she begged Herman not to read it when it arrived. It hadn't arrived yet, but she's like... So she did try to stop it. Yes, but after she had sent it a couple days after it was in the mail. how are you not camping out in front of that mailbox? (laughs) That's what I want to know. So... Jean then called Herman again that day at around 5 p.m. to complain about what a rough few weeks that she had just had, all the drama going on at the school and with the medication. Mm -hmm. And she asked if it was okay if she came over to see him. And Herman was like, "Uh, I'm having dinner with my niece tonight. You need to come tomorrow. And she's like, no, I need to come over. And he's like, whatever, fine. Like, he didn't want her to come over, but he's like, do what you want. Yeah. Before Jean left, she retrieved her 32 caliber rifle Oh, it wasn't a rifle. It was a revolver. Excuse me. Don't want the gun people to be out replying. <laughs> like, they don't make 32 <laughs> caliber rifles. Well, you know what? It's a gun. She retrieved her gun at her home and loaded a bullet into the gun. She fired a test shot outside <laughs> into the night, and she was like, wow, that was really loud. Like, she yeah. was surprised by how loud it was. Oh, she fired. Well, the first, actually, the first shot that she fired, she heard a click. Like, she didn't load the bullet in right. Okay. And then she was, like, kept firing it, and she just kept hearing clicks. But then finally, by the fourth try, the gun went off into the dark of night. Like, she went outside to do this. So Jean filled the gun with bullets, and she stashed a few extra in the pocket of her mink coat before getting into her car. That's hot. (laughs) Totally. With her, she took a bouquet of white daisies to give to Herman. (laughs) Jesus Really hot. So then... Look, if I'm murdering someone, I'm going to go buy a mink coat <laughs> and wear it during the murder. <laughs> and a pillbox hat. Yeah. <laughs> so Jean gets in her car and drives five hours in a thunderstorm. <laughs> She's like that astronaut who wore the diaper. <laughs> I was thinking that the whole time. Dude, that woman is my hero. I have to do something on her sometimes. <laughs> I just love the idea that uh, someone will go to that. Like at some point I would be like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to kill this person. Right. <laughs> I'm over it. It's a pull long into a drive. I'm not going to wear a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> like at that point you have to say to yourself, I'm insane. Right. Yeah. So Jean's driving through this thunderstorm from Virginia to purchase. And all I kept thinking is the scene I kept thinking of the Britney Spears video, Stronger, where she's driving through a th- thunderstorm in yeah. the rain. We all have our points of reference. <laughs> like, like I was like, oh, I hope, like, even though it was like, this is 1980, I was like, that was the song that was playing yeah. in my head. Like, I'm stronger than yesterday. Yeah. Now it's nothing but a my way. Right. My loneliness ain't killing me no more. She was probably listening to, like, Gloria Gaynor or something. <laughs> Right, right. We have to think of the time it was. When Jean arrived, Herman was asleep. And this was like 1040. He's an old man. So he doesn't know. Was that the night he was having dinner with his niece? So she comes really late. 
Yeah, because she yeah. called him at 5 p.m. and the drive oh. was like five it's hours wrong. away. Okay, yeah. So she just got right in her car. I mean, it sounds yeah. like she didn't even stop to take a piss either. Right. She mink. just pissed on her mink. <laughs> <laughs> it's very absorbent. <laughs> Okay, so she, so she arrived and Herman was asleep. She walked up to his bedroom and she was like, "Hi." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, so, that was his name. Oh, <laughs> right. I thought she was like, "Hey," <laughs> wearing like a mink coat and nothing underneath, <laughs> with the daisies over her pussy. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> he loves me not. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, go. Okay. So she's like, hi, are you there? It's me. Wait. And Herman was like, Jesus, Jane, it's the middle of the night. <laughs> he was pissed. So Jean went into the bathroom and there she saw Lynn Triforos's nightgown and her curlers and she lost it. Oh, my God. And it was a teal nightgown, just so you get a visual. <laughs> 1980. It was a teal nightgown, like a satin The nightgown. curlers, too. Were they like those the pink, pink, pink spongy pink. ones? <laughs> or the ones that heat up that they plug into yeah. the... <laughs> I imagine it's those pink spongy right. ones, though. I love those. Yeah. So she saw her curler, curlers and the nightgown in the bathroom, and... Jean takes the box of curlers and she just fucking hurls them across the room and was like, what the fuck is this shit? You know, this is your horror shit. Yeah. And Herman smacked Jean and was like, get out of here. You're crazy. Yeah. And (laughs) did he get the letter? (laughs) Did he get the letter yet? I don't think he never got the letter. Okay. Okay. So Jean then took out her gun of her purse and pressed it to her temple and that's when Herman grabbed Jean in an attempt to wrestle the gun out of her hand. And when he was, while he was wrestling the gun away, it fired and shot a hole in his hand. And he was like, Jesus Christ, Jean. My hands are my money. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, the reenactment for this on one of the shows I was watching about this was so stupid. Oh, I mean, it was like amazing. the least, it was like way, the acting of the woman of Jean was so overdramatic, but the guy was just like, ow, you know, <laughs> he was getting shot. I would watch a whole show of reenactments. Like I want a super cut. It's amazing. I put one up on my Instagram stories. Oh, I saw that. I saw that. that I was like, yeah. Cause I was like, that can't be like one of the official movies. Cause I know it's like Ellen Burstyn and like Annette Benning. Right. No, this playing her. And this one, I was like, who is that? This was from the show. Murder made me famous. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So it fired in his hand. He was like, ow, and no one knows exactly what happened next, but after he was shot the first time, Herman buzzed for his housekeeper, Suzanne, who was sleeping downstairs. And she picked up the phone and could hear Gene screaming in the background and then a gunshot. And Herman didn't actually say anything. He pressed it before the gun went off again. So Suzanne ran up to her husband, Henry's bedroom. These two people, they were they had worked 
for Herman at his house okay. for many, many, many years. They were like family practically. Uh, these were the ones who preferred one of his other girlfriends to Jane. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they were like family members practically. So she ran to her husband Henry's bedroom, and at that time, three more bullets were fired at close range into Herman. Jean then stood over Herman's blood-soaked body and put the gun up to her temple and fired, but the gun clicked. (gasps) What are the chances? Then she pointed the gun at a cabinet in the bedroom, and it went off and fired a bullet right into the cabinet. So Jean once more puts the gun up to her head, but it just kept clicking, and it never went off. So Jean obviously loaded the bullet in some funny way right. like she didn't load them correctly or she or in or, there was blank spots there was blank spots and like also she didn't know how to unload the gun like when she purchased the gun she just fucking bought it yeah and even though the guy was like do you want me to teach you how to load and unload this and she was like no 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 no, no. just give me the gun right like she's like i'll figure it out but she couldn't even figure out how to like reopen the gun so she's banging it against the bathtub and then the cylinder fell out and she's like i gotta get out of here so she takes the gun with her the broken gun and she fled the house she got into her car she drove away but then she saw the police car heading back to herman tarnauer's house and she followed it and she got out of the car and she told the police herman tarnauer has been shot so gene went into the house with the officers and went upstairs where Herman's two housekeepers, Henry and his wife, Suzanne, were waiting. Uh, They were like, she shot him. That's the woman who shot him. And Jean goes, well, who was he having dinner with? (laughs) It's true. She did say that. I read the court transcript. (laughs) So (laughs) what about ism? (laughs) So first aid was administered to Herman at the scene, and he started breathing again, but he died on the way to the hospital. Jean Harris claimed that this whole thing was a suicide attempt gone wrong. She actually would claim this until the day that she died. She swore that this was the result of a struggle with the gun because she just wanted to kill herself, and she wanted to kill herself in front of Herman. Right. But obviously the prosecution was like, well, why were there four four bullets in him then? Right. Like, I understand one bullet goes off, but why were there so many bullets? But again, the defense was like, there were several struggles during this. And she did, there were signs of struggles on her. I kind of believe her. You know, I, I was like, oh, she totally just shot him, whatever. But reading the actual book. I kind of believe her. Yeah. I mean, she still killed him. So it's not like she's yeah. innocent. But She's like, yeah. not innocent. She definitely killed him. It doesn't seem unlikely to me. It doesn't seem unlikely. Based on her state of mind. Right. Like, I'm not defending sure. it. I can, no. ju- I can just see. I yeah. can understand that defense. Absolutely understand that defense. Like this was a media frenzy because this was this doctor who was just on TV on right. all these TV and he shows. Was just newly famous and everywhere probably. Totally, and yeah. everyone was buying this doctor. I feel like, um, I mean, like everyone was doing this diet. It was like the latest fad diet. It was like Atkins or keto, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It was exactly. He was like Doctor Atkins, but in the late seventies, early eighties, at that point. So there's this media frenzy, and um, she's charged with murder. 
And Jean was offered a deal for a reduced sentence of manslaughter, but she refused. She's like, I'm going to go get up there and tell my story. And I didn't do, this was a suicide attempt. This was not, I did not do this on purpose. During the trial, Jean showed up dressed in fancy coats and furs, and she came off every bit the uptight headmistress. I mean, you should see the foot. We'll post them. We'll post photos of her. And she took the stand at her own trial, and she explained in detail the duress that she had been under in the weeks leading up to Herman Tarnauer's death, and she also described their 14-year relationship and how she was just, like, exhausted. Right. Much to Jean's embarrassment, the Scarsdale letter was presented as evidence by the prosecution (laughs) and read to the jury. And uh, she was pretty humiliated by that. Right. Uh, and that really did her in that letter because it portrayed it her like intense that she really hated him. Yes. Right? They mean, were like, yeah. oh, well, she had motive mm-hmm. to kill this guy. She wanted him dead. So Jean Harris was found guilty of second degree murder and sentenced to 15 years to life in prison. Because of her guilty verdict, Jean was ineligible to receive the 220,000 inheritance that Herman left for her. Oh. In her will. Oh, damn. In his will. He left her a lot of money in the will. Was that something he had meant to change or? No, I don't know. I mean, he was a really, really rich guy. Yeah. But while in prison, Jean Harris wrote and published two books. She wrote a book in 1986 called Stranger in Two Worlds, which uh, was a memoir about her life and her life in prison. And in 1988, she published a book called They Always Call Us Ladies. Both were nonfiction, and that book, They Always Call Us Ladies, that detailed life in prison, but about the, it was the story of her fellow inmates. It was their stories. She told their stories, and she gave them a voice, and she really humanized these women. She got very passionate about prison reform after this experience, and it wasn't just like her poor me experience. It was more about... The women, women. it was the women that she met that encouraged her to get involved with prison reform and exposing mistreatment of inmates in the prison system. that's really cool. I want to read those books. I really want to read the books. I didn't even know about them until like this week. So I do think that is a nice little sort of smidgen of redemption for her. Right. At least that she did some good in the world before she died. Right. And she did die in 2012. She She got out of prison. Oh, yeah. point, right? She got out of prison, and Mario Cuomo commuted her sentence. Oh. And she was released on parole in 1993 at the age of 69. And she went on a lot of talk shows. Yeah, I remember she had, like, a Barbara Walters interview. She did Barbara. She did a lot of, My impression of her, like, when I was a kid and heard about her, I always... Like, I didn't know a lot of these details, but my impression of her was this woman who got fucked over by this guy. Yeah. Like, I never had an image of her as being the bad guy in this, even right. though she was the murderer. Like, right. even as a child, I was like, well, like, he drove her fucking insane. Like, yeah. you know, like, I mean, it's never okay, obviously, right. to murder Right, we don't someone. condone murder on this show. But, but, like, this is not a woman who would have done this normally if she right. wasn't driven to this fucking point. There were a lot of factors a lot of contributing factors in this the medication she was on right there the stress of her job and then this 14 well, all year, that stress was caused by the medication probably like yeah everything was exasperated well everything yeah. was exasperated by it and also it's like 
this is 14 years of emotional and psychological abuse yeah. that this guy is putting on her and stringing her along and flaunting his affairs in front of her face and promising her the world and then snatching it back from her. Also, I think you have to consider the time when a woman of her age was useless basically to society yeah, or to men. It right. was like, no one wants you after 40. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? She probably felt like this is my last chance. I have to make this work. Well, and people did throw that in her face a lot, too. It's like she was insulted about her age. Like, that was a way that people could get to her. Right. In terms of, like... Like, Herman Herman, uh, wanted her to know that people around, like, behind her back said she was an old bag. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And he relished any opportunity. Meanwhile, he's fucking older than her. He's, like, 20 years older than her. Right. Like... No, I mean, it's insane. It's pathetic. I just feel like there's a lot of things to think about. Yeah. None of it excuses what she did. Right. But I do believe that she was trying to kill herself. It wasn't someone just killing themselves where they could do it in the privacy. She wanted to do it to harm him. She wanted to do it to harm him. She still wanted to harm him. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, she fucked up. But like, (laughs) I could definitely see how you could get driven to that point. Let's just say I have more empathy for her than I do of the Randy Crafts in the world. Right. We'll say that. Yeah, definitely. Right. We don't condone people just murdering people, but I feel like reading this book and learning about Jean Harris, she was, it's more complicated. It's very complicated. And she, I saw her as like a complete human being instead of this tabloid. It also helps that she had this little redemption arc at the end of her life. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great that she did a terrible thing and that she was able to put some good out into the world via telling these other women's stories Mm -hmm. about their life and their lives in prison and humanizing these women. And I think that's important that she did prison reform work. When did she die? 2012. So not that long ago. ago. Yeah. And she died of natural causes. She was 89. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty long life. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's it. That was good. That was the Scarsdale diet. We just want to tell you to go to our Facebook page. If you want to chat with us about this, episode or anything else yeah um we are on there quite frequently and it's a fun group of gals and guys yeah um if you want to check out our merch you can go to hollywoodcrimescene.com and that will take you to that we have like tote bags and t-shirts and mugs and stuff like that i feel like i was gonna say something oh i wanted to say we also have a new patreon perk a ten dollar level yes we're gonna have a basically a full episode and it's going to be focused on um mysteries and the macabre <laughs> so it'll be like paranormal cold cases all the things we kind of really can't cover in the hollywood theme will be right. in this type of episode so we're really excited about that and the first one will be coming up this week i think yep so that's definitely something to check out um, if I you think, want more more content, yeah, <laughs> you'll get, and that's addition to the the bonus episodes we already produce at the five dollar level. So there's like a lot of stuff there, extra right. stuff there. If you're interested in that, so if you donate ten dollars, if you do the ten dollar a month level on Patreon, you will get four hour length long additional episodes a month, right? No, you'll get the four bonus episodes, which I think are like twenty to thirty. Okay, and then you'll get like an hour long fully researched. Once a month. Real thing. Yeah. Okay. So this week I'm excited about the one I did okay. this week. I forgot so. we're yeah. just doing once a month. Yeah. Well, when we get more Patreon money, we're we'll do up more. it the more we yeah. more patrons we we're get. We're just yeah. starting off with once a month right yeah. now. Uh-huh. Cool. Okay. All right. Awesome. Bye. Bye.